Hey, what's going on guys? Welcome to another Honest Youth Pastor video on the Honest Youth Pastor channel, the channel that helps believers use biblical discernment in all aspects of life. Today, we're going to do that once again via a sermon review. And today, as I'm sure you saw in the title and the thumbnail, we're going to be reviewing Isaiah Saldivar. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. Isaiah Saldivar was sent in by one of you. As always, if you want to send in a sermon to be reviewed or a pastor to be reviewed, you can do so in the comments or the DMs over on Instagram, or just email me at michael at thehonestyouthpastor.com. And you may be asking, if you're here, what is a sermon review? Well, each week we go through a variety of different pastors and a variety of different sermons that, again, you guys send in, and we look for three specific things in each sermon. That's sort of the bar that we set so that some of our, you know, our lenses as we approach different pastors from different denominations, hopefully the, the three questions we ask sort of level the playing field so we can have an honest opinion at each of these sermons. And what we look for each week is three things. One, do they read the text? Two, do they use context and culture to exegete the text that they are reading and bring an application? And three, do they preach the gospel of Jesus Christ? Those are the three things we look through each week. Sometimes we hit that bar. Sometimes we barely get there. Sometimes we don't get there at all. Now, most of these sermons, what I attempt to do, and I've been really bad at this lately if you've listened to the last ones, but uh, I attempt to listen to them through a few times so I can kind of know what to expect. This is not one of those. So basically, it's like you and I are going to, uh, where was this church at that we're going to be looking at today? I think it's like the Rock City Church or something. I don't know. Uh, to go listen to Isaiah Saldivar. Now, we are going to uh, listen to this all the way through. It's about 50 minutes long, the sermon. If you want to listen to the sermon without my commentary, as always, link is in the description below. Also, down in the description, there is a free PDF download that you can download to use for your own sermon reviews, for the ones you listen to in person or online. It's what I use at church every single Sunday as well, and the guide that I use, obviously, for these sermons that we look at. Now, last but not least, just want to say... There's other uh, links down there as well as how to support us, but this, as every sermon review is, is not necessarily a critique of Isaiah as much as it is a critique of the sermon that Isaiah is giving. Isaiah, as all of the pastors that we review, is really more of a figurehead in the moment in regards to the presentation of the particular sermon we're looking at. So that being said, let's hop over to the reaction screen. And we're going to hop right into it because, once again, this is a 50-minute long sermon. Uh, no clue what we're getting into here. Uh, I have seen, full disclosure, I have seen, like, clips of Isaiah online. My understanding that he is connected uh, somewhat to, like, uh, Greg Locke in regards to, like, uh, possession ministry. Uh, very charismatic. That is pretty much all I know of Isaiah. Now, uh, speaking of Greg Locke, Greg Locke, I will also put in the links in the description below a sermon review we did on him a while back if you're interested in that. I think that's all we need to talk about. Let's let's go ahead and hop in to Isaiah Saldivar's sermon at, I believe it's Rock City Church or something like that, but here away go. Lord, some mighty praise. Look at the sound booth already knows they're turning it up. Come on, let's give the Lord a mighty shout of praise. He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our shout. I wonder if I came in here, if I could just get the monitors up, and there's anyone in here that's hungry for a move of the Holy Spirit. I wonder if there's anyone that is hungry for revival and awakening. Friend, I'm telling you, today I came hungry for God to move. Today I came desperate for revival and awakening. I came desperate for the fire and the anointing of God. See, when you have the fire, it's hard. One thing that I think we need to mention right away is that Isaiah is uh, considers himself a revivalist. 
um, there's sort of a move in more charismatic circles, clearly, of this idea of a revivalist. Your whole point is that you go around and you basically preach revivals, you bring forth revival. Um, so this it's to be frank, that's pretty much all I know. But the idea being that like that is your calling. You're not a pastor necessarily. You're not a uh, a teacher. You are a revivalist. So it's this idea to stir up um, the people uh, in the spirit. I guess is how they would put it. Hard to be silent when you have the fire. It's hard not to shout when you have the fire. It's hard not to be radical when you have the fire. It's hard not to stand. It's hard not to praise. It's hard not to run around. It's hard to be calm and far off and casual. And I'm believing and I'm asking that God would release a fire in this house like he's never released before. I'm believing for the fire of revival. I'm believing for the fire of refreshing. I'm believing that there would be an anointing poured out that would break off depression. I'm going to preach to myself tonight if y'all are going to shout. There would be an... So, what's, it's, so, in case you guys don't know, I'm, I grew up Wesleyan, uh, which is part of Methodism and under the banner of Armenian... Uh, Ar, so there's Calvinist and Armenian doctrine. Wesleyans fall under non-Calvinist doctrine. And so there is a, they're not charismatic Wesleyans, not so much, but they are on that sort of side of it. And so we always talk about revival and like anointing. And uh, there's always this prayer for revival and everything like that, which I mean, there's, it's, that's not terribly. I mean, at the recording of this video, there's a whole thing going on in Asbury, which is part of like Wesleyan and Methodist. Um, and there's always this like revival, uh, this new fire, God coming again, right? This new um, uh, love and energy and renewal, right? And so every time we see this, like we, through scripture, we see revival, like in the hearts of the people, but it, it just got a hard sell. I know there's people that study this. I haven't, but this it's, it's a hard sell for me to say like, oh, we like what he's saying here, like new revival, new fire, new renewal, uh, all of these things that when we look at the New Testament, what we see is God working in the lives of people and bringing them to him. And then this, this sanctifying work in their life as they live. And we don't necessarily see like these revivals break out as we see here. We do have some examples in the Old Testament, right? And we also obviously have Pentecost. Um, it's just interesting to me that this language is, is used in revival-esque cultures, such as charismatic is, you know, in some denominations specifically, um, without a ton of backing. I'm sure Isaiah would say that I'm totally wrong, that the, there's no biblical backing for revival, but I'm just saying through, when we look at church history and the New Testament, and what we see is lives being transformed and people growing uh, in sanctification by way of the Holy Spirit. But let's keep going anointing tonight that breaks anxiety. There would be an anointing tonight that breaks fear. That some of you have been going through trials. You've been going through tribulations. There are young people in this place tonight that say, Isaiah, I don't know, but I'm going through this. I'm going through that. I feel weary. I feel confused. I feel tired. Well, I came with the good news tonight that God is going to break every demonic assignment 
alignment. God is going to break every demonic strategy, every plan that the enemy has on this young generation is being broken by the power of God. Every assignment, every contract over your health, over your wealth, over your wholeness is being broken in the name of Jesus. There is a name that breaks every chain. There is a name that breaks every stronghold. We are not going to sit by and let the enemy ravage our family. We are not going to sit by and let the enemy ravage this community. If this community has been known as a military city, I believe that God is going to raise up this city as not just a military city in the natural, but a military city in the supernatural. I believe that God is raising up this place to be a proactive and to say, we're going to take the fight to the enemy. We're going to take the battle to the enemy. We're not going to sit by and let the enemy take our family. We're not going to sit by and let the enemy rob our marriage. We are going to burn with the fire of almighty God. I came hungry in this place. I wonder if there's anyone else that says, Isaiah, I'm too hungry. So just one thing that I want to know, right? Just because, I mean, we got a lot of, and a lot of, and a lot of, and a lot of, right? I mean, gosh, not, not, look, I'm not trying to, you know, what do they call those um, when you make fun of somebody to diminish their message? I Whatever, ad hominem, right? That's not my point here. And, uh, but like, if we're, let, let's point people to the scripture. Can we do that? Can we just point, can we, can we open the text and tell them, uh, can we tell them the gospel? Well, if you're talking about, you know, breaking dynamic, de- demonic strongholds, if you're talking about power over depression and anxiety of all of those things, I mean, if you're talking about power of those things, they, th- those things are, are defeated in the name of Jesus. So let's open the scriptures, read through them, teach through them, demonstrate and show people how Jesus has overcome those things, has power over th- those things, and holds the, the keys uh, of authority. Like, th- let's do that. Now, one thing that's very important that I think you should know is um, Isaiah is uh, part of... It, it, he might get into it here. This is something else I know about him a bit, but I, I think it's pertinent because it kind of goes into this whole dim- 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 demonic thing that he's talking about. Um, he believes that Christians can be possessed by demons and, um, that, uh, like he has a whole ministry and maybe this is even part of it in this video, who knows where he, you know, uh, he'll, um, it's not like exorcism, but essentially it's exorcism in regards of like telling the demons to leave these people. And then there's this whole thing that happens to them. You can look it up. There's some videos. Uh, I've seen some Instagram reels and TikToks about it, but you can look up his name and you'll see what I'm talking about. So my point is, aside from all of that, right now, what we've gotten for the first three minutes, which again, out of 50, we don't know what's going to happen the rest of it, but it's just really him working up the crowd um, instead of just opening the Bible. So let's see where we go here, because if this is just founded on him talking, which I was told is kind of his whole thing, uh, and not teaching through the scripture, then you can you can really work people up. But what foundation is any of that built on? Um, except just a lot of like, <laughs> and exciting them. 
to be dignified. I'm too desperate to be casual. I'm too desperate to go through the motions. I need a fresh touch of the fire of God. I need a fresh touch of the anointing of God. I am hungry and I am desperate. I got in an airplane. I woke up at three o'clock in the morning and I was in my hotel. I got there at 4.30. Had to leave at 5.30. And I said, I'm just going to pray for a couple minutes as I get ready. And I'm telling you, in my hotel tonight, I begin to cry and I begin to weep. And I said, God, I've been at this thing for nine years, but I stand here before you in my hotel room tired. And I'm more hungry now than I've ever been. I'm more desperate now than I've ever been. I came to prophesy over somebody that the fire will not die, that the fire will not go out, that when all the naysayers and all the negative people say, you're just going to relax. It's just a phase. I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. Come on, help me preach. When you young people get the fire of God tonight and they say, oh, that's going to fizzle out and you're going to settle down and you're only like that right now and you're only passionate right now. I've been married seven years and I'm more passionate now about my wife than I was the day that I met her. And I'll tell you right now that I'm more hungry and I'm more desperate for revival and awakening. Beloved, I believe that we are in the greatest moment of human history. It does. So here's a couple things. One, the example of... um I can only work with what he's given me here. So we don't have any scripture uh, yet. Hopefully we get there. But his whole example of your life as a believer, getting really excited when you first get saved and then that fizzling out and being told that. And then he uses the comparison of the, the passion he has for his wife that he's been married X amount of years and it's only gotten greater uh, instead of dying out. I think that's a good example, but I think it actually works against his point. I mean, anybody that's been married for a long time can tell you that relationship changes the uh, the longer you're in it. So the passion you had at the beginning, it's not that the that that heart of that passion is gone later. It's just that that relationship has deepened. So all of that fire and that passion is it while it's still there. Hopefully, right? This isn't true for every marriage, of course. But in a, in a healthy relationship, that fire and that passion and that love is still there. It just shows itself in different ways, right? You can't be 100% on all the time, uh, you know, 10 years down because you've learned things about yourself and about your spouse and about your relationship. And that's changed as it goes along. So, so I think the example of, of the Christian life in parallel to marriage isn't a terrible one because I think that is true. The, the, the longer you've been saved, the more uh, you, you've grown closer to the Lord over time, the more you've been sanctified by the Spirit. There are lots of things you know now, 10 years down the road in salvation, that you didn't know when you began. So it's a much deeper and a much richer relationship. It's more founded. It's got deeper root. Um, and it's not that you're not like hyped up all the time. It's just that you like you, you grow in love for the Lord and understanding of his, his sovereign grace over your life, the mercy that he's given you. You're able to look back 10 years and see like all the places he was. And you have this, this 
this hope and this faith in him that you didn't have at the beginning. And similar in marriage, right? There's this idea of like, you're just the honeymoon phase, right? And people say that fades out. Well, that's true. There is a fading of the honeymoon phase, but that doesn't mean that you grow any less in love. It's just that you better understand the relationship with you have one another. So it's not like kissy, kissy, love, love all the time because it doesn't need to be that anymore in the honeymoon, after the honeymoon phase. It's a much deeper, much richer relationship. So I think it actually this this whole example actually works against his point because when you do get saved there is a bunch of this energy that I need to tell everybody about who Jesus is now and be on fire like all the time and as you get and I think we see this in every believer's relationship. We can see this in the scriptures as well, like this perseverance through time, right? So when we have Polycarp, it's early church father writing about John, John the apostle, that was his, uh, he was the disciple of John the apostle. As John gets older, we see uh, from the writings of Polycarp that it's not, uh, John's not like just, oh, Pentecostal fire all the time. It's this this love for the people around him that he wants to tell them about Jesus and walk them through what this looks like and uh, help them understand who this, this Savior is that they've heard about. And just like in a, rela- a marriage relationship, right? It's not like I'm buying flowers for my wife every single day like I did when we were dating because there's this understanding and this development in the relationship. And so I think this is a good example. I just think it works against his point because he's saying you you need to be on fire all the time. If you lose that fire, people say it's going to be a phase. Um, that that sets an expectation for people that I think is just unhelpful because now they feel like they have to maintain, like I've got to be on all the time for Jesus. And if I'm not, I've lost that love for him. That's not true. That love develops in different ways. Now, I don't know if Isaiah would agree with that or not. I don't know anything about Isaiah other than the little bit I've seen with him online. But the idea is that your, your, your relationship with the Lord develops like every other relationship in regards to it gets deeper and it gets better, dare I say. You understand him more when you're in his word and there's this love grows further. So I just, I, it, it, I may be misunderstanding him, but it irks me when people are like, you got to be on all the time because you then set like this legalistic-esque bar that people have to hit constantly or they don't feel like they're saved anymore. It does not matter what we see with our eyes. Oftentimes, as ministers, pastors, and leaders, we get caught up with what's happening in the natural. If I can get a tiny bit more, we get caught up what's happening in the physical. But you got to understand something that God says, I don't want you to be caught up in the natural. I want you to be caught up in the spirit. I want to give you visitations. I want to give you, I wish somebody was hungry tonight. I want to give. Also, if you don't respond, and I don't know, this is just what I'm picking up from Isaiah here, but it's a lot of, it seems reminiscent of the circles that I was in growing up as far as the revivalistic stuff, is that if you're not like responding all the time, it's, I wish somebody would help me preach. I wish somebody would actually be listening to me. Like they have to have feedback all the time. It's, it's slightly annoying. Give you supernatural encounters. Young people, God wants to blow your mind more than your Xbox, more than YouTube, more than Instagram. I'm talking about eternal pleasure. I'm talking about eternal encounter. I'm talking about God saying, I want to anoint you and encounter you tonight. That's going to change the things that you watch. That's going to change the things that you listen to. That's going to change decisions you make. We need we need encounter in 2020. We need revival and awakening. We can't just talk about him. We need to experience him. We be raised in church and not raised in Christ. 
And I'm going, God, I don't want my children just coming to the house of God and not experiencing your power. I don't want my kids just coming to church and not experiencing your presence. I want them to know the touch of your word. I want their hearts to burn when the scripture's read. Beloved, is there a burning in your heart tonight? I like that. That whole idea of not being raised in church, but being raised in Christ. That's a good concept. I mean, as a church kid, that, 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 that is a nice differentiation that he's making in regards to even him wanting his own kids to, when they hear the scripture read, to, to love it, to love to hear it. Like that, I think we would agree on that. Is there a desperation on the inside of you that says, I could have just stayed home on Sunday night, but something drew me to the house of the Lord. There is something that we experience together that we can't experience alone. There is a fire that God releases corporately that you can't get privately. And God tonight, he wants to... See, where's the verse for that? Like, that's fine. Like, if you were going to say things say them, I suppose. But where's the verse or the situation we see in scripture in which that's true? That he only releases things corporately and not privately. Now you could pin to, you could point to Pentecost, sure. But like I think we would all agree that is a unique circumstance within scripture in which the spirit falls, a fulfillment of what Jesus said as far as I'm sending the comforter. I mean that's that's not a it's like that's that's Pentecost. It's that event. But where else in scripture do we see that occurring um, where it has to happen as a group and not individually? I mean, I guess you could also go with Cornelius's house, right? When, when he gets saved and then his whole household gets saved, maybe as another example, perhaps. Um, I'd say that's, that's not exactly like Pentecost, but like, here's my point. And I know I do it too. People tell me all the time that like, when I make a statement, I need to back it up with scripture, which I totally agree with. I need to hold myself to the same account that I hold these people to. But with that being said, if we're going to say something only happens in a group and not necessarily individualistically, then we need examples of, of that. Speak to you in a fresh way, but there has to be expectation and desperation. We come to the house of God and we don't expect revival. We don't expect our bodies to be healed. We don't expect our marriages to be restored. We don't expect God to blow our mind. I remember sitting there. I got saved in January and I'll never forget the preacher got up there as I was an atheist and say, do you want to be in the same place this year as you were last year? And I began to look at the timeline of my life and there was nothing changing in my life. Young people hear me. It was the same parties. It was the same drugs. It was the same soup. We used to say just reheated and I realized that I didn't want to live another minute doing the thing that I've been doing all year. There are some of you that look back on your year and say there was no progress. There was no spiritual growth. There was no supernatural encounter and I'm not going to look back on another year and say where was my encounter with God? Where was my heavenly visitation? Because my Bible says that if I seek the Lord then I will find him that our God wants to encounter us in the secret place he wants to encounter us in the spirit realm and unless we have encounters in the spirit we will always live based on the natural
Doctor's report came in. Says I have cancer. Says I have diabetes. Says I have six months to live. Says I have a month to live. Says I have this. Says I have that. Relationships break up. Marriages break up. Homes get foreclosed on. Rent gets increased. Family members die. Animals pass away. Get relocated to a new school. I get it. All the trials and all the tribulations. But the only thing that keeps us going in the midst of all these things that we went through all year long is that I'm not rooted and I'm not grounded on what the world says. I'm not grounded on what my circumstances say. Doesn't matter if the ministry feels like it's not growing. Doesn't matter if the marriage feels like it's not going good. I'm not living by my feelings. I'm living by faith. I'm walking by the spirit realm. And in the spirit, I see the fire. In the spirit, I see revival. Why do you preach that way? Because I'm preaching in the spirit realm. So here's the thing. Um, I'm not saying, obviously, we have examples of in the epistles or uh, in the gospels of this. Well, not so much in the gospels so much, but we do see this this spiritual warfare for sure. Um, do you, Jesus interacting with the demons, obviously, uh, that have, you know, either possessed or paralyzed people. We see that occurring in the gospels. We see Paul speaking uh, about this, you know, we don't fight against, you know, flesh and blood, but principalities. Like we obviously see this as a reality. So just to be clear, not denying spiritual warfare and the reality that it is real. However, this whole thing that he just went through, he didn't say I'm grounded in faith in Christ. It's I'm grounded in faith in the spirit and revival fire. So, where does Christ play into Isaiah's theology? Like, I get that he's charismatic. I get that uh, charismatics lean very heavily on the spirit, which is fine. I just think, I think as much criticism as charismatics give, say, uh, like Wesleyans or Reformed people or Baptists, right, um, on being, you know, too Bible-centric or Jesus-centric— and not have enough spirit in their messages in regards to paying it, you know, paying attention and preaching on the Holy Spirit. I think they equally don't give enough weight to Jesus. It's uh, and so we have this issue where we're we're really oftentimes very imbalanced in understanding uh, uh, the triune God that we serve and how He um, kind of how He functions in our lives, uh, the importance of Christ and his death, burial, resurrection, the importance of uh, the Spirit coming and indwelling the believer and, and what the Spirit does in us, how he operates in us, how he sanctifies us, how he constantly points back to Christ. And so it's it's one of those things where, depending on what denomination you grew up in, there's this, there's this likely uneven emphasis on one of the members of the Trinity, right? Um, and then you have to then, you know, the bad thing is you go back and forth between, um, if you come from a charismatic church, sometimes you'll go opposite direction and you'll lean so much on, um, you'll become so cage stage is what they call it in regards to like doctrine, doctrine, and you won't talk about the spirit ever again, or very little because you came from a very charismatic church, or you'll be reformed and then go very charismatic and it'll just become imbalanced. And my interesting, what brings all that up is that when Isaiah is going through all of the things that everybody goes through, my inclination inclination would be that, yeah, all that's going to happen. Yes, you need, yes, 100% pray that the Lord provides miraculously, that he heals miraculously, that you trust that he can and will 
Uh, but then if he does not, if he chooses the answer to be no rather than yes, even though you're trusting for yes, you understand that you're grounded in Christ and that is why everything can be okay. So if you are healed, then all glory to Christ. If you're not healed, all glory to Christ. It doesn't matter the outcome because again, like you said, I'm not grounded in worldly expectations. I'm grounded in faith. Only he said faith in, you know, in, in the spirit. I'm grounded in faith in Christ, reassured by the spirit that Christ is who he said he is. Um, anyway, let's just keep going. That's, it's, that's, that's the odd sort of language as I'm listening to this that I'm hearing that's much different. And I, I, I think, transparent-wise, I, I think it's problematic because I'm interested to see how many, how many times he mentions Jesus in this sermon. Because he's so heavy on the spirit um, that he's almost neglecting Christ and Christ's work. I'm not preaching to the natural. That's why I could smile through sickness. I could smile through trials. I wonder if there's anyone in this place that says the enemy should have took me out this year. But here I am, still alive, still in my right mind. Got a praise and a shout that no devil can shut up if it had not been for God. And I've not been for God. Feels like everything's raised up against me. It has raised up against you because the devil's threatened by what's about to happen in this place. Feels like every day, another attack, another assignment, another strategy. It's because the devil's threatened by what you're about to birth. The so I hate to keep interrupting like this. I really do. I understand. We're only 10 minutes into this actual sermon and we're like 30 minutes into my review. You guys are like the real MVPs, by the way, the ones that make it all the way through this. Um, this whole idea that the devil should have taken me out because I'm going to cause him problems this year. Look, the devil, ain't he's not scared of you. It is by the name of Jesus Christ that he flees. It is by the name of Jesus. That's what he's afraid of. That's who he knows defeated him. That's who he knows holds the keys to, to death. Um... He has victory over the grave. Like that, the devil's not scared of me, you, or anybody else. That what he's scared of is Jesus Christ. And it's by the name of Jesus Christ that he flees. And this whole like the devil should have taken me out because he's about to God's about to birth something in me. Look, any good work that comes from any of us is from Christ. So yeah, pray that good works because that's something we see in Titus, especially when Paul writes to Titus, like the Christian life is supposed to be filled of good works. I think it mentions like half a dozen, a little bit more times in Titus that Christians are to do good works. We're supposed to pursue them. We're supposed to pray that we uh, have them, right? I mean, that's the thing that's supposed to happen, but the devil's not afraid of me. He's afraid of Christ. Uh, let's keep going. I, I keep interrupting. I always do this enemy is afraid that there is a supernatural war and you ought to be glad that the enemy raised up against you you got to take it as a compliment when demonic assignments break out because if you weren't threatening the enemy he would not attack you the devil does not attack those that he dates the reason why he's attacking you the reason why you've been battling is because you're pressing and you're getting ready to burst this also sets forth an expectation just i know i'm interrupting i don't care um this sets forth an expectation that if things aren't aren't bad around me or I don't have I'm not having some attack then clearly I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do 
Do you, I mean, you understand that, right? This, I, this, so there's been two expectations set up. If I'm not always on fire, then I've let everybody else tell, you know, you know, tamper with my faith because I'm not always on fire for the Lord. Secondly, if I'm not constantly under attack, then I'm clearly not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Because if I was a threat to the devil, the devil would be sending people, you know, demonic forces after me to, 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 you know, try to get me to not be as awesome. But so if I'm not under spiritual warfare, then I'm clearly not doing what I'm supposed to do. I mean, there's two expectations he's already set up. So now in my head, if I'm in the audience, I'm thinking, well, if I'm not on fire, I'm not a Christian. And two, if horrible things aren't happening around me, no demons have been assigned to me to, to, to tamper with me, to make me feel bad so I don't do what I'm supposed to do for Jesus. Then, well, he doesn't even say Jesus, but I'm not, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do for God. That, uh, then like, it's just this constant works-based sort of situation that seems to be being set up here something you're getting ready to do something in the spirit there are powers and principalities in fact young people paul tells us that our battle is a supernatural battle against demonic powers not a natural battle that voice telling you to cut your arm is a spirit and tonight god rebukes it in the name of jesus tonight that there is power in this place to deliver you to break every assignment of anxiety deliverance ministry that's what it's called isaiah does deliverance ministry to break every assignment of depression to break every contract it gets canceled in the name of jesus my praise invokes the armies of god I don't know about you, but I've had, and I think everybody I know, Pastor Robin, I think maybe you could attest to this, the hardest year that I've ever had since I started the ministry. But I want to tell you, in the midst of the hardest year, I have fell and I have encountered the glory and the presence of God like never before. I'll tell you why. It's because the wilderness has a way of revealing God. See, when, oh, some of y'all raise your hand and you say, brother, you're preaching my message tonight. See, when you are in the wilderness, you have nothing else to lean on. When you are in the wilderness, you don't have the honey. You don't have the glitz and the glamour of Canaan. You don't have all the promises and the blessings to worship. When you go through the wilderness, it's where you find God. It's where you get breakthrough. It's where you get delivered. It's where you get weaned off of emotion. It's where you get weaned off of status quo. It's where you get weaned off of autopilot. And you begin to cling to God. And you say, I'm either going to run towards you in trial or I'm going to run away from you. And I want to run towards the man with fire in his eyes. I want to run towards the presence and the power of the Holy Ghost. If I could just get a tiny bit more just in those monitors. I'm running towards him. But sadly, this year, this year during trial, some of us have drifted away. Some of us has lost our shout. We have lost our praise. We have lost our hunger. We've lost our desperation. I know what it's like to sit there and say, God, do I, am I really even passionate about prayer anymore? Am I really even passionate about your word anymore? There was a time, God, where I could look back and say, my heart used to burn. As those men on the road said, did our hearts not burn when he read us the scripture? But now I've gone through some trials this year. I've gone through some testing this year. And some of you are on the fence of the goodness of God. And you say, I don't know if God is as good as I thought he was. Friend, I want to tell you that it does not matter what you went through. It does not matter what you're going through. That our God is good and he is worthy to be praised. That he is sitting lofty, high, exalted above every trial, above every circumstance. And I hear the Lord 
saying tonight, and I'm not going to release a bunch of what I feel for next year. I'll do that tomorrow night. But tonight I hear the Lord saying, I'm getting ready to bring you above what you battled all year long. I'm getting ready to rise you above the trials and the circumstances that got you out of the place of worship, that got you out of the place of praise, the thing that robbed your shout. I'm getting ready to put it back on the inside of you. The thing that robbed your praise. I'm getting ready to fill your mouth with worship and to fill your mouth with praise. I'm getting ready to give you expectation back. What is expectation? It's when we come to the house of God expecting more than a good service. When we come to the house of God and say, I'm not having a normal, average, another Sunday night, another Sunday morning, another meeting where we gather, we sing a couple songs, and we hear a good word, and we walk out the same. Now, we can do all that. So, real quick, um, I wanted to let him go for a minute because I'm trying to f you know, figure out where he's going with this. So, I, I don't think we're going to have any scripture can I just be, I don't, I don't think we're going to, I mean, he's referenced, he referenced the road to Emmaus uh, a bit there. Um, I, I don't think he's referenced anything else. Like it's so vague if he has, that I haven't picked it up, but we're, I, I, we're not going to have, it's pretty clear at this point, we're not going to have a, what would be considered a normal sermon, uh, even topical. I don't think we're going to have a normal sermon. I think what he's basically giving is a very high energy exposition of, of, um, Hey, you don't feel good. Hey, you've had a bad year. I think the reason you've had a bad year is because, um, either you're not close enough to God or it's been a hard year and you, you need to be reminded of how God, good God is, which there's a lot of verses for this. I mean, I'm just thinking here, just Philippians chapter one, verse, uh, chapter one, verse three, I thank God and all my remembrance of you always in every prayer for, uh, of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And this is a verse that you guys have probably all heard before, but I am sure of this, that he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers uh, with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in my defense and in my confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ and in my prayers that your love may abound more and more with the knowledge of uh, all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Just that short verse. You could preach a whole sermon basically on what it seems like he's trying to get to, which is this idea of the preservation, right? So if you've had a tough year, you have faith in Jesus. Now, he's not said any of this, which is my real issue up to this point, 15 minutes into the sermon. He's not said any of this. Um, but what we do see just in the Philippians text is that Paul is praying for them. He loves them. He's reminding them that God did not start something in you that he's not going to finish and that he's praying that they would remember that, right? That he, that God is going to bring the good work to completion in the day of Jesus Christ, that this, that he's been a witness to what they heard. He, he knows that God is good and verse 10, so that you may be approved what it, so you may be approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of the Lord filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. This idea is like God is doing a work in you. You're going to be preserved. 
you need to be full of discernment so you know what to approve and what not to approve. But God is working in you a righteousness that will be complete on the day of Christ, and that that will be the fruit of that your fruit. The fruit of your righteousness is the example of that work that He is He has in you. Now, there's a whole lot more we could go into. Clearly, I mean that that's a very very three thousand foot overview of the passage. But my point is that when we are encouraging people, I don't want to encourage them by my, I don't. So what happens is, and there was a small clip I saw somewhere else of Isaiah saying, Hey, some of you guys really like look up to me and you think that I'm all this cool. Don't do that because it's not me. It's the spirit in me. The reason people probably look up to him is because we've had 15 minutes of monologue from him all about what he thinks. None of this has been grounded in scripture. He hasn't gone back to the text and says, this is what the text says. This is why it's important. And this is why you should believe it. And it applies to you. It's just been this big him running around the stage. Look, if you got energy, you got energy. Fine. There are lots of people that preach the word that have lots of energy, but grounded in the word and not their personality. We still have 45, well, roughly 40, 35 minutes left here of him, of him doing this. But if we don't, I just, I'll just say something before I know even how this ends. If we don't get to scripture and ground this all in the word, what's the foundation of it all? Where does it all come from? How can we have reliance on anything he's saying if it's not in the word, right? If he doesn't go back to scripture on it, we, we are forced to say, well, Isaiah said it and therefore it must be true. And that's where, you know, the value comes from. So let's see if he ever gets to scripture, ever mentions Christ. I, I know that he did mention... Um, uh, the Lord is sitting in heaven, uh, you know, reigning over. So that is a reference to Christ. But let's see. I'm talking about the gospel specifically. Um, let's see. But there will be some of us that encounter like never before. Why? It's the element of expectation. Is that when I come to God's house, I'm expecting that tonight won't be an average night. I'm expecting that tonight won't be like it was this morning or last week. Because my Bible says that we go from glory to glory to glory. And I'm getting ready to go into a new dimension of glory. I'm getting ready. Come on, young people. Open up your ears. I'm getting ready to level up in the spirit God is getting ready to release something new on my life and I have to position myself in a place where God can move in me and move through me because you don't have expectation you don't have encounter everybody else was content with being around Jesus okay I just want to make sure we cover this I know this is gonna make it longer don't really care because we can at least go to the scripture the scripture that he seems to be referring to this glory to glory um, yeah is going to be found in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to start at verse 12, even though the specific text he's talking about is in the second half of verse 18. But I want to get the context here because when you listen to, and it was a recent sermon review we did, I, do, I don't remember who it was, but it's this whole dimensions and levels of the spirit and glory and this whole moving up and leveling up is something we do not see in scripture. Uh, if you disagree with me, please point in the comment section where this leveling up in glory is. There is sanctification. You do grow in sanctification as a believer, uh, becoming more like Jesus. But like this leveling up, because 
It's so video game esque language. Like five PowerPoints, level up. Like that's that's the sort of thing that comes to mind. So anyway, Second Corinthians chapter three, starting at verse twelve, Paul says this to the Corinthians. Since we have such a great hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites may not uh, gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old te- uh, the old covenant, and the same veil remains unlifted, because they uh, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, it is to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit is, the Lord is, and there is freedom. And we are all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Again, talking about sanctification. So what we have here is not a leveling up. It is the way Isaiah is talking about, it's this leveling up. Are you ready to level up? Hey, are you ready to dedicate more of your life to the Lord? Uh, sanctification is this this process by which the Spirit makes us more like Jesus. And we see here Paul using this analogy of Moses, well, this this true story of Moses with a veil over his face to cover the glory. Um, and then he turns it into an analogy and says the Israelites now, when they read the text, are veiled and they can't see what the text is really saying because they still have this veil over their face and they can't see Christ. But we with unveiled faces, see who Christ is. We understand uh, who he is. And then verse 15, uh, well, actually, but verse 16, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. So when we understand who Christ is, we turn to him, that veil is removed. And now verse 17, the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit lives, there is freedom. And we all, all of the believers with unveiled faces, behold the glory of the Lord, uh, and are being transfer, transformed into the same image, the same image of the Lord, from one degree of glory to another. From this comes, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So this, this, uh, um, this be transformation comes from the Spirit, and it comes from the Spirit because you understand who Christ is. And so it's not a leveling up of like, well, I was down here, like Scientology. I'm not saying he's he's promoting a Christian-esque version of Scientology. I'm simply saying in Scientology, there are levels of Scientology, and you pay to get to the next one. And this is similar in language of what he's saying as far as how people perceive it. I'm leveling up. I'm right here. I want to go here. Well, how do I get from down here to up here. Well, I dedicate more. This isn't the Lord who is spirit does this because you understand who Christ is because you have turned and the veil has been removed and you see the glory of the Lord. And because you understand who Christ is and you are becoming more and more like him via the spirit, this is sanctification. It is not a level like at least he's, I do not perceive the way he is presenting this He's not connecting it to sanctification and growth in the Lord. It is this leveling up from I'm down here and I want to go here. And the only way I can do that is to like dedicate more, to be like, to to want, want it bad enough.
Jesus. Everybody else was content with following the crowd. I'm not going to be a part of the crowd. I'm not going to be a part of everybody else. I'm not going to walk in and walk out the same. I don't care if nobody shouts, I'm shouting. I don't care if nobody praises, I'm praising. You got to get delivered from what the person next to you think. I'm sorry, honey, but you did not deliver me. You did not save me. You did not break my shackles and break my chains. You weren't the one that gave me a clear mind. You weren't the one that healed my body. And I'm not praising to impress you anyways. Friend, listen very closely. I've tried the dignified church thing. I've tried the dignified praise thing. And it doesn't work. God is looking for somebody that would get undignified this year. He's looking for somebody that would break out of their comfort zone and say, I'm going to praise undignified. I'm going to shout undignified. I'm going to worship undignified. I've been delivered from what people think. I've been delivered from what people say. Miss me with all that. What's funny is uh, two things. One, I would slightly agree in the fact that when you have been saved uh, from your sin and you really realize that, there is a praise that comes from that. There is an understanding. Now, that praise demonstrates itself differently in different people based on their personality. I know people that have deep praise for the Lord from what they've been saved from, and they're not the jump up and down, run around the room kind of people. Um, when they remember what they've been saved from, there is a great... Um, amount of praise that comes via tears. Um, there are people that are runners <laughs> and that are uh, shouters, but to assume that that is how everyone is going to demonstrate that is, I think is weird. Also on the second side of that, um, we see Paul also telling the Corinthians that there is a reverence in worship um, so that when unbelievers come in and they ask what's going on, they don't think it is just like the cults around them that are just like ecstatic in their praise. And therefore, like, he just wants the Christians to believe, to, to be able to communicate um, what's happening to unbelievers and it to be organized, essentially. Uh, I think, I forget where the verse is. Basically, it's not a spirit of chaos. Uh, I think is, I don't know if it's First or Second Corinthians, but it's there. Please look it up. I don't know. I'll, I'll try to look it up whenever he keeps talking. Well, you don't have to. Just forget all the baby stuff. You can keep your little baby Christianity. You don't have to praise that way, brother. You don't have to shout that way, brother. You don't have to be excited that way, brother. We don't have to pray. That, you don't have to pray. You don't have to shout. You don't have to be excited. If you want to keep seeing no fruit for another year, you could just stay in the same place you've been. But I believe that there's a couple people that are in the remnant tonight that say, brother, I want to go to a new place in God. I've been in the same place for years in the spirit. I've been in the same place for years in my encounter. And I want to encounter God like I've never encountered God. I want supernatural visitations and experiences. I want something that changes the way I look at life. I'm tired of looking through the natural lens. I remember 19 years old getting radically saved and God opening up my eyes to the spirit realm and seeing demons and angels all over my college campus. And I began to realize that the battle was not in the natural, but I was fighting for my generation in the supernatural realm. See, but if your eyes don't get opened, if your body doesn't get ch changed, if you don't get translated from this life into the spiritual life, you will never think in the spirit. You will never respond in the spirit. So when something happens, we respond in the natural. I say, okay, well, 
I'm sick or I'm depressed or have anxiety, so I'm going to take these medications or I'm going to go do this or I'm going to do that or I have depression, so I'm going to try this or I don't, I don't like my life. I can't deal with my life. I can't deal with my reality. That is a video game crisis. Six to eight hours a day, young people playing video games. Why? Because I'm trying to escape into a new reality. It's the reason why we're on Instagram for three hours a day. It's the reason why we're on Netflix for five hours a day. It's the reason why we live our lives living through somebody else's post and what somebody else is eating, what somebody else is doing. The fact that the girl on Instagram's husband brought her flowers and yours has in three years. And we create these vain imaginations and lifestyles that are revolved around the natural realm and not around the spiritual realm. See, but when you have encounters in the spirit realm, you understand that everything opens doors, that my phone is an open door. Now, this thing is either an open door in the demonic realm or an open door in God's realm. We could either use our televisions to bring the glory of God in our homes or to bring demonic spirits in our homes. We could either use our cell phones to minister to the biggest harvest field right now is on social media, over 4 billion internet users out of 7.5 billion people. The greatest harvest is on social media and on the internet, yet we're still doing what God did yesterday and calling it revival. Yet understand revival in one generation is religion in the next generation. That God says, I want to do a new thing. I'm going to have to break the mold. I wish I was preaching at the right place. I'm just making sure I'm at the right conference. I have to break the mold. I have to break the idea. Yeah, so see, like, you're not responding, so I'm surely you're not hearing the preaching. That's basically the gist of what's happening. When he, I gotta just gotta make sure I'm preaching throughout conference because you guys aren't responding. So here's the thing. Like, I don't, I don't totally disagree with the, I, well, I think we would disagree on the semantics of what he's talking about in regards to open doors. But there is reality of what you watch does affect you. What you listen to does affect you. How uh, you utilize online um what's online does affect you, right? I mean, the things that you view are going to 100% uh, be a detriment or a help to your relationship with the Lord. What you watch, what you read, all of those things. I would agree with him on that. Like, it is a doorway and a window um, that will allow things into your life that are either very helpful uh, for the kingdom or not very helpful uh, to your life in the kingdom. So you have to be very conscious of that thing, like of what you watch and how you use it. Um the thing that's odd, though I would agree with the uh, the social media is a large harvest field. I mean, why why do we, why does anybody even follow the Instagram account of mine? Why does anybody even watch these videos? Right? I mean, clearly this is where we are. This is where people are at. This is how you can get a ton of eyeballs. The fact that this video will at least get fifty views is crazy to me. But the reality is, there's a lot of people online. And so this is where the eyeballs are. And so the church, yes, I think it is a huge mission field. But this idea of God's like, what? We, well, he doesn't even say that God says it. But he says what was revival yesterday is religion today. I think what he's illuminating or what he's trying to, not illuminate, point to, illustrate rather, is this idea that usually what will happen is there will be this this. Uh, this work that the Lord does in a generation uh, through a variety of people. And then that sort of becomes the uh, modem operandi, right? We all do this because it, it worked back here. So we're all going to do it now. And then the one thing I would disagree with though, is that he said, God comes in in every generation and breaks the mold. Um, the reality is the gospel is as powerful today as it was last decade, as it was the decade before, as it was the decade before. 
And though there are obviously tools that we can use, uh, such as the internet now, such as television in the generations before, such as the radio in the generations before that, there are obviously tools to use to help spread the word, but the gospel itself, the message is just as powerful. So if I were to delete this YouTube channel, delete Instagram, and just do what I normally do on these modes of media, and then just do it face-to-face -face at work with everybody, um, uh, using as much time and energy, I'd probably have better results in regards to actual um, like engagement, if that makes sense, right? So we can put posts out and tell people about Jesus and it goes thus far, but I don't have a relationship with you and you don't have a relationship with me past this screen camera sermon review or live stream thing. Like you kind of know me, I know nothing about you. And so that relationship can only go X amount, right? It can only go so far. However, in real life, the people I talk with at work, uh, the people that I talk with uh, that, you know, I have a customer relationship with because of my work, like those relationships can and have gone farther, which just, I think, proves the point that the gospel doesn't need this. It, it'll use this, but it doesn't need this. Um, and I don't think that he's necessarily saying that. I just want to make that point that, um, yes, there's a big harvest, but it's not like God's got to come in and be like, we've got to break the mold, guys, because it's not working anymore. Um, he'll utilize what he wants to utilize, how he wants to utilize it to get his message out. that I have of how God moves, of when God moves, and of why God moves, and I have to understand that our God could do what he wants, he could do it when he wants, he could do it how he wants, so if he has to raise up Kanye West, praise the Lord. Why? Why does he have to do it? Because the church isn't doing nothing for God in America. So uh, again, I'm glad that he said right after I got done saying that God can use whatever he wants. So agreed. Um, the church isn't doing anything for America and therefore he raises up Kanye West, I think is a false dichotomy. He can do both. We have made a commercialized different Jesus. And as far as reaching the masses with the gospel, as far as taking Jesus outside the church, we have compartmentalized the presence of God. And that is why young people will spend their life till 16, 17, 18, and then leave the church because it was never real to them. We gave them a Sunday morning or a once a week thing. But here's what you need to understand. Once a week Christianity is not a biblical principle. In fact, and if you go to the book of Acts, you're not going to find come to church once a week. You're going to find a lifestyle. Jesus is bigger than once a week. Jesus is a lifestyle, and that is... I wonder what Isaiah's um, perception on sacraments are, given he referenced the book of Acts. Um, that would be interesting to hear. I don't know. I, just because uh, we do see a, a setup as far as gathering together, uh, having a meal, taking communion. Uh, if we're going to go like super duper real life Acts, technically what he's doing doesn't fit that either why we struggle as Americans. I was 16 years old, graduating high school. I had my whole life planned out, started college at 16. I graduated high school, went straight to college, graduated college at 19. I knew what house I was going to buy. I knew how much I was going to make. I knew how much, where I was going to work. I had 10 years planned, 20 years planned. But here's what I realized. Now, I know a lot of you are going to hate this, and it goes against your theology, but Jesus does not do 10-year plans. Jesus does not do 20-year plans. 
Jesus does 100-year plans. you got to understand that the Christian walk is not planned out. The Christian walk is not a year schedule. The Christian walk is a daily decision. Isaiah, I'm young. I'm stressed out. How do I break stress? I will tell you the key to breaking stress, coming from someone that got delivered from intense anxiety attacks and stress. The key is you don't worry about tomorrow. You only worry about today. In fact, Jesus said today has enough worries. I don't want you worrying about tomorrow. Why would I not worry about tomorrow? Because the walk you're walking is not a tomorrow walk or a once-a-week walk. It's a daily walk. And I want you young people to worry about right now following God every single day I wake up. God, I'm choosing today to follow you. What did Jesus say when he taught the disciples how to pray? He did not say, give us this week our weekly bread. See, it wasn't once-a-week encounter. It was every day. He said, give us this day. Wait, wait, what day are you giving us? I'm only giving you. This will change you if you get this. I'm only giving you one day at a time. Because if I showed you young people what I had from you for you a year from now, you'd go into cardiac arrest. So I'm going to give you this day your daily bread. See, the bread has to be daily. The encounter has to be daily. The anointing has to be daily. The oil has to, oh, I wish somebody would help me in this Pentecostal church. The oil has to flow daily. Some of you are wondering why you're... I'll just uh, as a side note, I this is probably one of the reasons I can't be Pentecostal. I can this amount of energy kept up for this long. I just don't, <laughs> just don't know if I got it in me uh, at at nearly forty to just uh, be on like all the time. And now again, I understand. I, I it's a joke, guys. It's a joke. I understand that Isaiah would be like, "Well, the Holy Spirit will get." I I get it's a joke. It's a joke you're struggling it's because you don't have a daily relationship so you pass jesus in the hall once a week on sunday morning how you doing jesus i'm doing good how are well i'm not doing too good jesus i've been depressed all week i'm struggling i'm getting bullied at school my kids aren't listening my job isn't working out my home's being foreclosed on i'll talk to you next week and jesus goes here's the problem the trials and the things that you're struggling with are not only on sunday morning but the rest of the 99 percent of your week outside the church and you're not consulting me or encountering me outside and so you're only meeting me once a week and then all week long you're falling on your face you're not it's not even that you're advancing you're not advancing the kingdom it's that you're barely even making it and i believe that god is bringing us into a season of 2020 where we're not going to be in survival mode we're going to be on revival mode okay so i forgot to tell you this is this sermon is apparently preached uh at the beginning of 2020 which in case we've all forgotten uh was 100 percent survival mode <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, it's hindsight's 2020. Where we're not going to be a church on life support, where we say, man, God, I feel like my faith is barely going to last. It's only going to last because you only eat once a week. Now, I eat once a day usually, okay? I've been trying to go to the gym and work out, praise God, even though it hasn't helped at all, but I've been trying, and I've been eating twice a day, three times a day, and I'm, I'm feeling better, I'm feeling energized, and I, I usually only eat once a day, that's why I'm 130 pounds, and I'm going, I don't understand, I'm, I feel like I'm barely surviving eating once a day and then fasting the days I preach. I don't understand how the American church is eating once a week and expects to survive spiritually. Young people, you got to understand that you will not survive this thing 
thing called revival or the Christian walk if the only time you open up your Bible is at youth group. 100% agree. Like what he's saying here isn't bad. Again, the only the only issue I have with this is that we're uh, 25 minutes into a 50 minute sermon and he's all of this is based on what he thinks. Now, again, some of these principles, such as this one that he's talking about, of the encouraging people to understand that the Christian walk is not just a Sunday morning, Sunday worship, hour, hour and a half, three hour long thing. Like it, it is a consuming thing that involves every, every part of your life. It involves your parenting. If you're a parent, it involves, if you're just married, it involves your marriage. It involves your job. It involves every piece of your day as a believer is supposed to be founded on and lived out of the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that does involve you being in the scripture. That does involve you having uh, conversations about Christ with people. That does involve you living in honest and upright, righteous ways. Like every, every part of your life as a believer is touched by the gospel. Now, there may be some young Christians or young believers in that audience that don't know that, and the reason they wouldn't know that is because they're not maybe being discipled well. Or maybe there may be Christians and they don't even understand and have never heard this before. And if that's the case, well, I'm, I'm very happy that Isaiah is bringing this up. Um, and this point in and of itself is not bad. It's great, except for the fact that we're not like, <laughs> we're not in Scripture, and I get that some people don't think that's like a huge deal because Isaiah is up there and he's talking about revival and he's talking about fire and he's talking about renewal. Great, fantastic, wonderful. Base this in the scriptures. Point to Jesus Christ. Um, point to the life change that is brought about by Jesus. We've had a flyby reference about the road to Emmaus. We slightly reference the glory to glory, but as we've talked about, it's not a leveling up. It is a walk of sanctification, uh, a work done by the spirit. Uh, dig into that, explain to them, show them why. If we're going to tell them that it's not a, just a Sunday morning faith, demonstrate through scripture why their life should be totally consumed uh, uh, by the by, by by Christ and His work. You will not survive if the only time you open up your Bible is when you're at the coffee shop. You got to understand that that Bible and that word, it is the light unto your path, the light unto your feet, the thing that guides you, the thing that directs you. Amen. Open it up. Open up the Bible. It is the thing that guides and directs you. Open it up and preach from it. It is your weapon in the spiritual realm that when the enemy tries to bring hell against you, when the enemy tries to raise a standard against you, you get the word of God and you say, I'm not fighting in the natural. I'm fighting with your word. And your word says that I am more than a conqueror, that I've been given all things pertaining to life and godliness, that I have power over this confusion. I have power over this depression I have power over this anxiety that if he said it and you read it you better believe he will accomplish everything he promised his promises are yes and amen he's not a y'all are making me work tonight okay real quick let's read that right so he referenced on more than a conquer he also referenced a few other verses there without going into them. So just to demonstrate, as we did with the Corinthians passage, let's read it. Because the more than a conqueror part is uh, down in verse... Um, let me see here. More than a conqueror. Where is that verse at? 
37. Um, yeah, so let's let's start at verse 31 so we get the context. Roman uh, chapter 8, verse 31 says this, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Is it God who, isn't it God who justifies? Who is it to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, he was raised. <laughs> I love that part. Yeah, he died, but he got up. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is intercessing for us? Who shall, uh, then he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep for the slaughter. This is the verse. No, in all things, we are more than conquerors through whom who loves us. For I am sure that neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present or things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. That, is that not an amazing passage that he could preach from that demonstrates um, sort, of, sort of the point? You feel down, you feel lost, you don't feel like you're on fire. Remember this then, Christian right? Remember this, that God is for us. And if he's for us, then who can bring condemnation against us? No one. Is it not Jesus that died, but more importantly, rose from the dead? Is it not Jesus that sits at the right hand of the Father intercessing for you? Okay, well, if that's true, then he says, who can bring any claim against the elect? Who can separate you from Christ? Do you think tribulation is going to do it? Do you think persecution is going to do it? Do you think famine can do it? Do you think nakedness is going to separate you? Or do you think death or danger from the sword? No. He said, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. So all of those things, which are verifiably horrible things, as verifiably as horrible as they are, they cannot, he says, separate you from Christ. Because you're more than conquerors through him who loves you. So that more than conquerors through them who loves him, right, is great and a really good work, verse to get worked up. But understand that he says that even in all of these terrible things that may come, you're more than conquerors through Christ. So you just don't overcome them. You have confidence in Jesus. It's not just you scrape by. You have confidence in Christ. Nothing can separate you from him. Nothing can... No one can bring an accusation against you. Why? Because Jesus is taking care of that. You are more than conquerors. So it's not death that's going to separate you. It's not angels or rulers that's going to separate you. It's not things to come. It's not powers nor height nor death. Nothing. Nothing, he says, in all of creation will be able to separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. It is all through Jesus that's the confidence you have, believer. That's the confidence you have. So yes, there will be verifiably horrible things that occur. There will be very bad things that happen. But those cannot separate you, will not separate you, have no power to separate you from Christ. They can't. That's a powerful message that I really wish we would have preached in this sermon. I gave you a word. But if you don't have expectation, you won't remember the word. See, when you have a word, it doesn't just give you expectation. 
if you don't have the word, you won't have expectation. So I'm going to spend this entire hour not preaching the word to you. Right? We haven't opened the scripture one time. It gives you desperation. You think about the disciples in the upper room praying for 10 days, y'all. Let's be honest. Not only did most of them not show up, but you know deep down inside, you ain't going to pray for 10 days, not getting paid from your work, not getting your Instagram, not getting your Netflix, not getting your three-shot floating caramel macchiato. You wouldn't survive that. What was it that drove them to stay in that place? What was it that drove them for, to be there? It was expectation because they received a word that God was going to do something and when God gives us words he doesn't give us dates we just have to keep believing until I'm just going to keep showing up until I'm just going to keep praying until there are words over this church from 30 years ago and just because we haven't seen him yet doesn't mean they're not going to come to pass we are praying and we are believing that every word that spoke over this house that every word that's been prophesied over this ministry it will I wish somebody was more excited about this than I was it will come to pass in the name of Jesus your story's not over yet in fact I found out when they film movies oftentimes now I'm not a huge movie buff I know they have all these new Star Wars and all this and everyone's excited about the movies praise God I get bored as you can tell my personality I, I it takes it's it's very hard to keep my attention unless it's like a documentary or a war movie documentary I have a hard time just sitting there watching it but I found this out just a couple months ago that when they write movies when they film movies oftentimes they fill the end uh, they film the end of the movie first now I automatically assume they just film the beginning then the middle then the end that's not how they do Oftentimes they filled the end of the movie. Here's why. Because the end of the movie is going to dictate what happens in the beginning. The end of the movie is going to dictate what happens in the middle. See, the beginning of the story doesn't dictate the end, and the middle doesn't dictate the end. The end dictates the rest of the story. And friend, your story does not end in depression. Your story does not end in anxiety. Your story does not end being lukewarm. But the end of the book, and I got it saved on my phone. The end of the story story ends with a Jewish man coming out of the sky and establishing a government in the earth. His word will never pass away. His power will never go out. His fire will never die. There has to be an expectation and there has to be a desperation. Desperate. What does desperation look like? See, what's interesting is this, this is, I think, just demonstrates the, the, the difference between charismatic Pentecostalism and a lot of the other um, denominations or movements or theologies within Christianity is that yes, Jesus is coming back a hundred percent. But that is why we can live. We live in the expectation of his return, but also are grounded and rooted and have that understanding that we read in Romans eight, that doesn't matter what happens because he's coming back. So if I am freed from depression, anxiety, whatever, Praise God, that is the God that's coming back, the one that freed me from that 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 thing. But if I'm not, still praise God, because that's still the God that's coming back. And one day, that will go away. But in the now, if I have to persevere through it, all more praise be to God that he is the one that sustains me despite it. I, I just don't think you're going to ever hear, at least this is the what I'm getting from Isaiah here, because who knows what is... He's not preaching from any scripture, so I don't I don't know his how he exegetes things or even his theological outlook primarily. It's based in obviously 
Pentecostalism, but past that, I don't know how he's interpreting some scriptures here. But uh, what it sounds like is that Isaiah would say that um, there should be this expectation that you will not always have that anxiety. What if it's God's will that you have that anxiety for his glory? Now, he can get glory 100% if, if that goes away and people see that you have been, that's been taken away and you've been healed from that and you don't have that anymore. Of course he can, duh, right? And all the praise more be to God for that. But what if also his will is that you, you have that anxiety so as to show other people that your dependence is fully rooted in Christ despite that, that Christ is better than every, I mean, why can't it be both? That, that's an interesting thing there. That I, I, It doesn't seem that he has a theology that allows for someone not being healed. And if they're not healed, it seems to be, um, and I could be wrong about this, but in this sermon, it seems to be, well, not even sermon, this dialogue, this, this monologue, it seems to be because they don't have enough faith, perhaps. It looks like you getting delivered from you. It looks like you getting delivered from what people are going to think about you. What are they going to think if I come to the altar? What are they going to think if I get delivered? I don't know. Ask blind Bartimaeus what they thought. They were telling him to shut up, yet he realized a very powerful principle that Jesus is getting ready to pass me by and go somewhere else, and I refuse to sit back and let Jesus pass me by. I refuse to sit back and let somebody else get a touch and let somebody else be used of God and let somebody else experience revival. I want Jesus to encounter me. So how did blind Bartimaeus get Jesus to encounter him? The Bible says, now I know y'all don't like shouting. I know some of you say, Isaiah, I would just love if you just talk. All right, I'm streaming on Facebook. You can go find my stream and I'll just go and talk to you. But right now when I get under the anointing, I'm going to shout. Why? Because it attracts the presence of God. See, blind Bartimaeus was not sitting back on Sunday Shouting attracts the... And he's using Bartimaeus as an example. So we're using a, a descriptive text to prescribe what should be happening. The idea being that Bartimaeus screamed and therefore I should scream and therefore that brings the presence of God. Just so we're all clear, that is not uh, prescriptive and descriptive texts are important to distinguish because there are lots of descriptive things we see in scripture that are not prescribed actually do, but they're just describing an event and being able to distinguish those is are, it's very important because if not, you'll make theologies, uh, you'll make descriptive texts into prescriptive ones and then that's problematic morning saying everything's going to be fine. It's okay. We don't have to be too crazy. Blind Bartimaeus realized the hour that he lived in and said, I refuse to let Jesus pass me by. I refuse to let Jesus go anoint somebody else or go bless somebody else. And the Bible says he began to shout. He began to get radical. He began to get loud. Everybody told him to shut up. And I love what the Bible says because the more they tried to shut him up. I love it. In fact, there's days where people don't walk out of my services. I'm like, Lord, I don't even know if I'm preaching the gospel anymore because I'm just used to people telling me to relax and I'm just used to people walking out and I'm just used to people getting offended. And I don't mind. I love people. I love the church. I love what God is doing. But there comes a point where we have to say, God, where are the Jeremiah's in our generation? So real quick, just I, I want to make this clear. If you've gotten this far, <laughs> if you've gotten this far, go ahead and hit a like just for yourself. 
uh to, it's a little i mean like you you're an mvv trophy to you for a, an hour and 20 minutes into this um but the idea is that like i don't have an issue with him being excited in fact i wish more pastors had some energy my issue is that we've not opened the bible we've not went into the text we've not uh, taught through the word of God. And I get that he's a revivalist and I'm sure the definition of a revivalist isn't a teacher or a preacher. Uh, the point is though, we are in a church service. Now, maybe it's a conference. Maybe this isn't a Sunday morning. Maybe I am totally misunderstanding the situation that he's in. But if you're in front of a bunch of people and you want them to be revived, uh, a really great way to do that is just read the word of God. Just read the word of God. Teach it to them. You can get, anybody can get anybody worked up, right? You get a good charismatic personality, they can get people worked up without the without the Holy Spirit. They can get them real, real riled up. But the word pierces hearts and minds. The Holy Spirit opens people's minds and hearts to who the person working Jesus Christ via his word. So just to be clear, I don't care if the I don't care if this brother jumps around, screams, gets all excited. Just do it on the foundation of scripture and not your own whatever. Where are the Ezekiels in our generation? I am praying and I'm believing tonight, young people, that God is going to mark you to be an end-time prophetic voice in this hour. This is not the time where God is raising up mamsy pamsy preachers. God is releasing a fire and an anointing on young people. And I'm telling you, prophets are rising up from 16-year-old mouths and 19-year-old mouths. God is turning the lips of the young people into trumpets. And we're going to begin to see young people take this mic and they're going to begin to prophesy and they're going to begin to speak only what God could have spoke and we're going to see a shift in our generation devil I know that you thought you had our generation devil I know that you thought you won I know that you thought you had the last word but the story's already been written and as for me and my generation come on where are you at young people we will serve the Lord as for me and my house we will serve the Lord. I'm getting delivered from the opinions of men. Quiet down, blind Bartimaeus. And here's what the Bible says. He shouted even louder. What do we do when people shut us down? What do we do when people tell us to relax? What do we do when people want us to be dignified and be like them and be religious and fit in some type of box? We continue and we go even harder with what God has spoken. So he attributed organization to religiosity. You see that? If it's organized, it's religiosity. It's, if it's organized, you're putting it in a box. That might be true. That's not always true, though with what God has said. Friend, we are living in the last days. Now is the time, and now is the moment for revival and awakening. I just want to spark your faith tonight. I just want to encourage you tonight that you need to get your expectation back. Some of you have lost the expectation. That is why you don't pray during the week. That is why we don't fast during the week. That is why if we look at the last two weeks of our life, there is little to no supernatural activity. 
in our everyday schedule because we've lost the expectation that God is not just good for being at church, but he's good every single day. That our God wants to encounter us. That he wants to go home with you. I'm telling you part of the word for 2020 that God has been speaking to me in our ministry. It's time to bring me home. It's time for me to be in your living room. It's time for revival in marriages. It's time for revival on the television. It's time for revival on Facebook. It's time for revival on Instagram. It is time for viral revival. It is time for the glory of God to spread throughout this earth like never before. God says, I'm doing a new thing. Is there a desperation? Is there a hunger even right now? I'm telling you, I feel a hunger stirring. I walked in this building and I felt something stirring, something shifting. And I heard the Lord say, Isaiah, I'm getting ready to pour out like I've never poured out on specific people. It's not just going to be a corporate outpouring where if you come forward, you're going to experience the presence of God. But the Lord began to show me, I'm going to begin to pour out on that. So you see what this, so th what, this is what happens. This is why I say go to the scripture. Because now what's happening is that we've had a monologue of Isaiah this entire time with just sprinklings of scripture that we've, we've read two of them to demonstrate that in both instances, uh, the scripture is much better than what Isaiah has referenced in regards to it when he's talking. Like you get into it and you preach it and you look into it and there's, there's this way deeper and way better than what he's talking about monologue-wise. Not that he's been wrong when he sort of referenced it, but it's just better if you preach it. Now where we're now where we're at is that Isaiah is now talking, the Lord showed me, he told me there's this thing that only I know, right? Um, I'm not saying, and I want to be very clear about this, that this is Gnosticism, right? Secret knowledge. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying we tiptoe around this a whole lot whenever we start having people on platforms that say, God told me a specific thing. You don't know it though. So I have to tell you this specific thing that only I know that the God told me, but he didn't tell you. So Isaiah, when he walks to the building, God tells him, what? Oh, there's going to be specific people here that are going to pour out my fire like never before. Hey, Isaiah, I'm doing this thing like I've never done it before. Um, there, there's always this talk. And I'm not saying that God isn't going to do amazing things as far as revival and renewal of people's lives. He transforms people every single day. He works in my life and your life every single day in ways that we could not possibly imagine that he would do that. Praise be to God. But this idea that Isaiah has some secret knowledge, this, oh, God told me this thing, and now I've got to tell you this thing. Uh, now it bases it fully in Isaiah, right? If Isaiah wasn't there that night, these people wouldn't have known that God was going to do this specific thing because it's, 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 it's through Isaiah that he's saying this thing, not his word. Whenever the pastor gets up and opens the scripture, whenever I get up and preach, whenever your pastor gets up and preach, if you're a pastor, whenever you get up and preach, it's not about my authority or my anything that I'm backing it with. It is the, the word of God passed down by the saints to us now to declare with authority, not on our own authority, but on the authority of God, that he has said these things. He has, has taught these things. We are passing these along to you. And so when we open the scripture and read from it, it is not by our authority that these things have any merit. It is by the authority of God that they have merit passed down from the apostles in Christ himself. That when Christ says, 
before he ascends into heaven. Hey, go forth making disciples and teaching them all that I have taught you. Why do those teachings have any merit? Because they came from Christ. And therefore, we go forth teaching them as well, not on our own authority, but on the authority of Jesus. Not because it means anything because we say it. It means something because God has said it. So whenever we start saying things, well, I, 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 I don't really care. I don't care. I don't care your opinion on anything if it's not based in the scripture. So anyway, let's keep going. We're about done. Uh, I say that. We're 32 minutes into a 50-minute sermon, guys. I'm sorry. This is going to be a very long sermon review. I know we're already a minute or an hour and 30 minutes into it, but hang on. We got longer. Um, Let me Hold on. I'm sorry. There's an audio issue here that I'm trying to fix really fast. Here we go. Vessels that would empty themselves out and wouldn't give an offering but would become the offering. He says, I'm looking for people that wouldn't just come to the altar, but they would put themselves on the altar. See, the fire of God falls on sacrifice. And the Bible says true worship is giving your bodies as a living sacrifice. That upper room became an altar. And they said, we're going to be the sacrifice that the fire of God falls on. Young people, I want to tell you that God is looking for one of you in this house. They say, God, I will lay down my life tonight. I will be an offering. You could use me. You could use my hands. You could use my feet. You could use my lips. God, whatever you want me to do, if I could get the worship team up, whatever you want me to do tonight, I'm saying yes. I'm saying yes to your power. I'm saying yes to your anointing. I'm saying yes to the call of God. I'm laying everything down. I'm putting, there's, there's, a, there's a play in poker called going all in. It's when you know you have the best hand and you say, I'm putting all my chips in because I already know I have the winning hand. Friend, you have the winning hand right now. I want to challenge some of you young people. If you've been living your life in compromise, if you've just been kind of going through the motions and you say, Isaiah, there hasn't been a hunger. There hasn't been a desperation. I'm telling you, next is now. You don't have to wait till tomorrow. You don't have to wait until Tuesday night or Wednesday night or Thursday night. But Jesus wants to impact you and wants to infect you with his glory. I got radically saved at 19 years old. And God sparked awakening and revival in my heart. And I believe tonight he's going to do it in your heart. Come on, somebody help me in this place. There has to be a hunger in somebody. There has to be a desperation in somebody to say, God... This is, what you, this is not all you have. I can't tell you how many times I've said that. This is not all you have. Just coming to church once a week and just living my life in 30-minute Christianity and giving you 1% of my life. When I read my scripture and I look at people that lived as if they were living for a life that was to come. Friend, do you know the difference between the believers in India and Africa and China? That- so when we read the scripture and look at believers that were living for a life to come, I mean, Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith, right? If you're going to give examples of that, read that, right? The, uh, I mean, what was the exact wording? I, I just, just go there real quick because I, it's just, it's a really powerful passage when we go there. And I know the reason this is longer is because I keep going to all this, these verses. I don't really like, who cares? So, uh, by now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, Um, the conviction of things not seen. We go, by faith, Abel offered to God more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, though he was um, 
was commended as righteous. And then we have, uh, by faith, Abraham, in verse 8, obeyed. Then we have, uh, by faith, all the way through uh, verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, right? By faith, by faith, by faith. Like, go through chapter 11 of Hebrews, preach an entire sermon on that. If you're going to want to point to people that by faith believed in things they had not yet seen. Like, all of these examples he's giving aren't necessarily bad. But, base it in scripture. We've, we have gone through 35 minutes of basically just him talking, pointing to scripture, scriptures that are quite powerful. We've, we've looked at two of them. We've scraped on the third one there on 11, but we're not going to read all of Hebrews 11, but like open the word, let God's word do the work that are being martyred often for their faith and the believers in America that are having zero persecution is that the American Christian lives for today's life. The Christian in Africa lives for a life to come. I am not living and I'm not planning for right now. I'm planning for a hundred years. I'm going gone. I'm worrying about right now. What are you doing in my life right now? I'm not worried about tomorrow or the next day. I'm worried about now. Young people, I know you feel stressed because you don't have a 10-year plan, but I want to tell you that if you say yes to Jesus, he will lead you and he will guide you. He will direct you and he will protect you only by his spirit, only by his anointing. I don't know what's happened with the audio. I just want to know. There is a difference in his audio. I'm not sure why. That when you're going through anxiety, he'll be there to break it. When you feel tired and weary, he'll give you strength. He'll give you a passion you've never had. He'll give you an obsession you've never had. You think you're addicted to video games? I'm telling you, you're going to be addicted to the word of God. You're going to be addicted to prayer. You're going to be addicted to fasting. I prophesy over the young people in this house that you will live and not die. That you will not not be a statistic but God's hand is on you God's power is on you God's fire is on you and God is going to do something new in you tonight tonight what is God going to do I wish I knew if I knew what God, that's the problem with prophets we're like well God's going to do this and do this if, it, if God, we knew what God was going to do it wouldn't be the new thing that God is doing but every day I'm waking up, God says, okay, Isaiah, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to do. We're rearranging, I'm not going to go into detail, our whole ministry, our whole church. We're literally changing everything. If I told you, oh, well, you can go on my face, we can see, if you'd call me crazy, well, you're crazy. Why would you do that? You're going backwards. No, you got to understand that when God speaks the new thing, you have to choose. I'm either going to stay in love with the old thing that, that, that isn't producing fruit, or I'm going to go do the new thing that God is saying and that God is doing. Now, listen, I'm 100% behind behind Kanye West. I'm his biggest fan, but it's sad to me that God had to go outside the church to raise up a person because the church continues to play religion. See, so there's this huge assumption that God's got it. Now, again, I've said similar things to be clear, right? At the time of this recording of this sermon review, just the previous day, we had a live stream about 
uh, how I think that uh, I'm not saying that God is behind the he gets us campaign, but the idea that the he gets us campaign even exists goes to demonstrate that for some reason we're not discipling people well enough in the church. So there, I, there's definitely issues, I think, within the church, but I wouldn't go as far to say that the church doesn't do what it's supposed to do. So God raises up Kanye West. This whole infatu- infatuation with celebrity conversions is just a crazy thing that's happened since I was a kid and it just keeps happening. All the, all the celebrity has to say is that they believe in Jesus and everybody loses their mind, even if there's no fruit of that. Um, the, the, the funny thing about this is, this is the beginning of 2022. Uh, so I'm wondering, I'm sure Isaiah wouldn't be as behind Kanye now. Maybe he is. I don't know. Who knows? Um, so let's finish this out because I think the last, uh, 10 minutes are probably all worship. So let's see if there's like an ending point we can get to, to tie this up and then go over the three things we look at in every sermon and see what he hit what God says I'm getting ready to pour out without measure on a people without mixture I'm getting ready to do something new I wonder if there's anybody that says God I want the new I want to be a part of what you're saying I want daily encounter how often the children of Israel get manna the Bible says every single day And the Bible says a day before Sabbath, they would collect it for two days so that they knew that even while they were resting, God was still working. Bible says Elijah was at the brook and what happened? The raven came. How much food did the raven bring the prophet? The Bible says the raven brought him enough food for one day. Why? Because this thing is daily. This thing is not weekly. Weekly Christianity is an antichrist concept. I'm going to say that one more time so you could tweet it. Weekly Christianity is an antichrist concept that was created by religion to try to snuff out the power and anointing and a presence of God. But I am done with religion. I am done with routine. I want an everyday fire. Imagine how healthy we'd be as a church if you actually prayed every day and then came here on Sunday and you walked in burning with the fire of God. That's just called that's just called being a Christian, bro. And that is religion. Like this whole pitting religion against Jesus thing is hilarious because Jesus himself said that he did not. I mean, it's a Sermon on the Mount, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, as far as not, uh, re, not, not doing away with the commandments. In fact, he goes even deeper into them on the Sermon on the Mount. Um, th- this reality that Jesus gives us the sacraments to do, which is a very religious act, um, it's just, it's, it's funny. This whole, we're still obsessed with no, it's not a religion. It's a relationship. Yes, but also a religion, uh, sacraments, the meeting together of believers, the reading of scripture, the singing praises to our God, uh, the fellowshipping, uh, all of these things are, are religious and element. In fact, the early church that comes out of the new Testament, um, is seen as another, a new religion. It's just, it's, it's inescapable. Uh, and if you want to claim as Isaiah just did that, like, well, that was invented to, to snuff out the spirit that, that is what naturally comes out of the new Testament. Um, so like, when did you, when did you, when did was religion created to snuff out the spirit? Like immediately after the, after John died, was that what happened when the last apostle died, they made religion to snuff out the, like when, when did it happen? 
Imagine if Garner didn't have to spend 45 minutes cheerleading you, getting you all, all warmed up because you haven't prayed all week. Imagine if Pastor John got up here and preached and he didn't have to give you your first scripture you've seen all week long on a board, but you say, I've been eating and I've been dining at the king's table all week long, and now when my pastor preaches, all he's doing is throwing logs on my fire. When my pastor preaches, all he's doing is giving me marching orders from the reason why churches are dying is because the pastor's having to carry the whole church. The church was not meant to be carried by the pastor. It was meant to be led by the pastor. But it was the people that would go and do what the commandment and what the orders from headquarters were. Don't totally disagree with that. That's, that's not untrue. But we're hearers and we're not doers. Another word. I tell people all the time, go watch me on YouTube. You go, you don't have to even watch me. You can watch anybody on YouTube. There's a thousand, a hundred thousand messages. If you honestly are so deceived into thinking that you need another message before God can use you and God can anoint you. Let me give you a reality check. Peter had the Holy Ghost for five minutes and 3,000 got saved. It is time that we stop waiting around, waiting till I, let me just say this. If you That's another descriptive into prescriptive text, assuming that Peter had the Holy Spirit and then 3,000 got saved. And therefore, if you have the Holy Spirit, that will also happen. You are waiting till you feel like responding. You'll never want, you'll, ne you'll never come forward. If you're waiting till you feel like pray, well, brother, I had one person tell me, well, I just don't feel like praising. I don't, I was like, me neither. It's like, wait, what? I, ne I hardly ever feel it. I don't know how often I've come in here and been like, I really don't feel like lifting my hands. I'm tired. I'm weary. But you know what? I, my flesh does not tell me what to do because January 12, 2011, I kicked my flesh out of the driver's seat and the spirit of almighty God took over. And baby, it is not my flesh getting me to preach this way. Trust me. My flesh hates this type of preaching. But there is a yes on the inside of you. There is a yes on the inside of me that says, I will praise you. I'm not going to pray when I feel it. I'm going to pray till I feel it. I'm not going to worship when I feel it. I'm going to worship till I feel it. So flesh, tonight I'm telling you what to do. Because all week long, yes, I'm talking to myself. All week long I've been listening to you. You've had me on Instagram for hours. You've had me on Facebook for hours. You've had me at the McDonald's drive-thru. Come on, help me, y'all, for hours. And I'm done listening to you. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know what Paul said to do? Paul said, I still. Did he not just describe what he was saying not to do? Like, again, no no shade on him. I mean, the Christian life is this life of progressive sanctification, of understanding where you've fallen short, uh, submitting to the will of God, and then f following him closer and praying that the Spirit changes you to be more like Jesus. But he's just spent this entire sermon talking about how Christianity isn't a once-a-week thing, and then he just said that all week long I've been listening to my flesh, and today I'm telling you no flesh. Did he not just say, basically tell on himself, that says all week I've not done the thing I just told you not to do all week? Again, no shade. I'm just saying, like, do you, he set this expectation up the entire sermon, which, again, I agree with. We should be an everyday Christian. But then he gives an example of himself that says, I've not done this well all week, which should, again, no shade, because uh, you're going to fall and you're not going to do great all the time. But here's the reality. It was the last sermon review we did last week was the beauty of this. Isn't that you just sit in your failure and go, well, I guess I'm going to do this poorly. It's that you are anchored in Christ so that when you do do it poorly, you don't, 
you you understand that you it's not that you're anchored in Jesus that it's not in your own works that you're saved it's not in your own works that you're good it's not it's not by your own righteousness but his righteousness that you have any righteousness so again no shade on him for just telling us live like this but then telling on himself that he didn't but rather that if you're anchored in Christ if you're rooted in him you understand that there are going to be weeks that you don't do well but Praise be to God that it isn't by your good works that you have salvation anyway. So you don't just accept the fact that you, you've fallen and failed. It's that you, you press on and you persevere and you trust that God is good. Stayed up all night just to beat my body up. Wait, what? What about your health, Paul? You're not going to be healthy if you travel and preach like that. And Paul's at the bottom of a ship being shipwrecked and chains and shackles riding and bearish freedom in Christ as he's in bondage in the bottom of a slave ship because Paul understood that I might be in bondage in the natural, but I'm free in the spiritual. That I might be tired and weary in the natural, but I'm alive in the spiritual. And in fact, the weaker and more tired and more weary I get, the better. Let me, give you, let me give you a free one as I end this because I've been going for like almost 50 minutes. So let me just give you a free one here. There is one thing that God does not have. Ricky, a couple weeks ago I was praying and I was going, God, you have everything. I mean, he really does. Think about it. What, what, what does God not have? And God told me, Isaiah, there's one thing I don't have. I'm like, okay, what, like the new Tesla truck? I mean, I don't understand. What could you possibly not have? And God says, there's literally one thing. Not only does God not have, he can't have. And he said, weakness. Weakness. God has no weakness. I never thought of that. I'm like, God, there's zero weakness in God. And God says, Isaiah, do you know why I keep beating you down all year? Do you, keep, do you know why I keep breaking you down all year? Every time you feel like you have a breakthrough, I crush you again. It's because you have something that I need. Because I don't, I feel the Holy Ghost. Because I don't have weakness and you do, I need that. Because I can't get that. And without your weakness, I can't show my strength. And so the thing that God is looking is not great talent. It's not great preaching. It's not great singing or great ministering. But what he's looking for in the pastors and the leaders of America is who will be weak and get on their knees and say, God, I'm broken before you. I don't know. I have nothing to offer you my business strategies suck my church growth ideas are terrible I have nothing I look at these preachers of today and I weep because I see how put together they are I see how well they speak I see all their programs and I'm going where's the weakness when are they going to get before the congregation and get on their knees weeping, saying, God, I'm a broken, hurting person, and without your power, I can't go another day. Some of you, here's the thing. You're too strong for God to anoint you tonight. You're too talented for God to use you because God is looking for a broken and a contrite spirit. He's looking for your weakness. That's why when Paul said, God, please deliver me, God's like, I don't think I'm going to. Paul's going, I'm, I've prayed three times for you to take this thorn. Three times. It wasn't his wife, by the way, so y'all don't look at your wife. I've prayed three times for you to take this thorn. And every time Paul says, God said, no. So the good news is with this, so there's a couple things. One, I, there are things that he said in this sermon that aren't necessarily terrible. Like, they're good principles. Again, I just wish that he would base them in uh, in the text. 
Secondly, uh, I had mentioned earlier that I wasn't sure where he stood on the far as does God heal every time. He seems to, at least what he's getting into here, is uh, is admit the fact that Paul asked to be delivered from the thorn three times and he said no. Uh, let's see where he takes that, though. Let me teach you something. No is an answer to prayer. I mean, I've prayed for years and God's like, when are you going to stop wasting your time with that prayer? I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, I already said no three years ago. And you're continually asking me to bless something that's not in my plan and not in my will. That's why the Bible says if you ask anything in his name or in his will, it will be accomplished. Why? Because God will only answer what's according to his plan, not your plan. I know that you have the desires of your heart, but our heart is wicked and evil above all things. And that's why we need God's desires and God's mind and God's presence and God's power there are things that God won't take out of you because if he took them for you, you'd be too strong for him to use you. So he goes, now, nah, Paul, I don't think I'm going to deliver you. Paul's going, I've been praying for deliverance. I've been seeing people get delivered. Why am I not delivered? He goes, because my strength is better when you're weak. And I like you where you're at, Paul. I like that you don't depend on a huge salary. I like that you don't depend on a huge ministry. I like that you don't depend on a large following on social media. Paul, I like that you're only able to depend on me. See, God is looking for people because you got to understand that worship follows security. That whatever in this life makes you feel secure, that is what you worship. And if if your job is what makes you feel secure, then your job is your God. But I want to get to a place this year where I say, God, you are the only one that I find my security in, that I find my hope in, that I find my refuge. So here's here's something that I've noticed all through this entire sermon. And again, I don't want to be reading into this more than I should be. But the entire times when he could say, I, I find my hope, my security in Christ, he's saying God. Which, again, I get is like, it seems like a real nitpicky thing to do. Because, yes, Jesus is God. Um, but the reality is, Christ is centric to Christianity. Um, so whenever we're saying we find security in God technically someone from other religion could say the same thing. Yes, I find security in God as well. So when Christians speak of uh, our hope and our redemption and where our righteousness comes from, we say it comes from Christ, not, not necessarily God, even though obviously we would attest to the fact that Jesus is God. But whenever we're, it's just, we've had a real lack of, of, of the speaking of Jesus in this sermon. Um, I'm not saying he hasn't said it uh, maybe a couple times, but just this pointing back and this reminding, like, it's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. We haven't done that. In. I'm done running to other things. If that's you and you're in this place and you say, God, I need you to restore my expert, my expectation and my desperation, come out of your chair as fast as you could right now. Come on, all over this room. All over this room. You say, God, I've lost it somewhere this year. I know it's been rough. I know it's been tough. If it hasn't been, then praise God, you could put a big old check in the offering if you've had a great year. But I'm telling you right now, some of you have lost the passion and the fire. You've allowed the trials and the circumstances. But our God goes above all that, and tonight, God is saying, I need your weakness. I need... See, this just seems to... Uh, so just a little background. I grew up in, and I understand guys, I appreciate you watching this long. This is a super long video, but I grew up in something similar to this where it was very much like, Hey, if you feel weak, if you feel like you failed, um, this is very much, and I don't think it's purposeful necessarily, but this is very much a sermon dictated 
dictated and given to people that uh, we all, like we've all fallen and we've all failed and we've all at times lost the fire of like understanding uh, the gospel and the, the change that it's done in our lives. But that doesn't mean um, necessarily that like I don't want to seem like somebody is saying like, hey, you don't have an altar service. But at the same time, like, can we just re- read the word? When you're, when you're in scripture and you're reading the word, it will come back and you'll realize that like, yeah, you failed and you haven't done great and you've lost uh, a, a bit of what he would call the fire in your life. But a lot of that comes from the fact that you're probably not in scripture and it's not helping that when you're in front of them, um, even though you're talking about weakness, you seem very put together. So here's the idea. Open the Bible, demonstrate from the scripture um, what we see there, whether it be Hebrews 11 and saying, hey, they never saw what was coming, but they pursued it anyway. Or when we see in Romans chapter eight, what we looked at, like, Hey, nothing can separate you. So the feeling that you felt this year where you felt or not done great enough, or you don't feel like enough, or you've, you've lost the fire. Like, here's the point. You can't be separated from Jesus Christ. Remember that. And the feeling that you're feeling now of, uh, of failure or the loss of fire is probably coming from the reality that you've just forgotten that. You've forgotten that nothing can separate you from Christ. So let me point you back to what he said the rest of the sermon. You need to be in your Bible. You need to be in prayer. If you are in your Bible in prayer, even when you don't feel like it, you know what you're going to see? You know what you're going to come across? Verses like Romans chapter 8, what we read about, that nothing can separate you from Christ. You know what you're going to come across? You're going to come across Hebrews chapter 11, when you're reminded of they pursued the things that they knew were out there, but they never saw, right? You're going to come across those verses that the, the Spirit is going to use to remind you of the faith that you have been given in Christ. It's just this idea of like, come forward one more time, be reminded of that because yeah, you failed. I, it's just, it's just never ending cycle when you think that way. I need your weakness. I don't got none up in heaven, so I need yours. I'll partner with your weakness and I'll trade you it for my strength. Come on, if that's you, say, God, I'm weak. I have nothing to offer you. Sounds like the boy with a couple fish and a couple loaves. And God says, I don't need what you have. I'm going to multiply. It doesn't matter. It, I don't care. It doesn't matter if you don't have ability, you don't have talent, you're not good looking. None of that matters. I'm tired of prerequisites for being a preacher or a pastor is that you have to be talented and good looking. So ridiculous. What you need to be is broken and weak so that God can flow through you. Right? What, what you need is the, the, the qualifications of ministry as outlined in scripture. Now, some of you need to come out of your chair and say, God, I need you to break me down. God, I need you to weaken me. I need you to break my pride. I need you to break my arrogance. I need a new desperation. I need a new expectation. I need a new hunger for awakening and revival. With every eye closed right now, I believe God is beginning to restore passion. I believe God is beginning to restore expectation. But you're going to begin to walk in this place this next year and say, God, I'm expecting for something to shift in the supernatural. Okay, so this is what we're going to do. I mean, we're at 46 minutes and uh, 51 seconds. We literally have four minutes left. So stick with me. We're going to get all the way through this, and then we'll end it. This is going to be a, one of the longer sermon reviews. I'm expecting for something to move in the spirit uh, that, God, if you've done it once, you've done it again. My, one of my favorite lines, probably actually I'll just say my favorite because I, I could honestly say this. In any song of any I've ever heard is that song we played earlier, Do It Again. 
where it says walking around these walls, I thought by now they'd fall. And that says so much in one sentence, because I oftentimes come to the altar saying, God, I've walked around these walls so many times. I believed for breakthrough in my marriage. I believed you were gonna heal my little girl. I believed you were gonna open up the door. I believed you were gonna give me a passion. I believe and I believe and it hasn't happened, but you got to understand that it might be six days of walking, but there comes a moment on day seven where everything that you've been praying for and everything you've been believing for comes down. Friend, don't quit on your second time around the wall. Don't quit on your fourth time around the wall. Maybe you're in here and you've been believing to get pregnant and you say, I don't know why we've been trying for years and you might be on your fifth time marching and I want to prophesy over you that those walls will come down in the name of Jesus that if he said he would do it he will do it he's gonna do it again Rock Church I want to tell you and prophesy over this house he will do it again the move that he's done before, he'll do it again. The revival that he's done before, he'll do it again. The promises he's giving you, he says, I'm getting ready to answer. I'm getting ready to do it again. But I'm looking for those that wouldn't fail. I'm looking for those that wouldn't waver. I'm looking for those that faith wouldn't fail. But that would be consistent. That would be genuine. That would be broken and say, God, I'm in this for the long haul every single day. I'm not worried about the next day. I'm not worried about next week. I'm worried about right now in this moment with every eye closed. I want you just to ask him to do it again. God, the passion I once had, would you give it back? The expectation I once had, would you do it again? The fire that once was, God, would you relight the fire? I'm praying for myself right now, y'all. I don't care how big the stage is. I don't care who's watching on Facebook. I don't care who's, I, it does not matter. I have zero pride to salvage. Pride has done nothing for me. I'm, I'm done. I have none of it. I could care less. Tonight, I'm asking that the Lord would restore the joy of my salvation. God, relight a fire. I'm not talking about performance or preaching. I'm saying, God, take me back to a place where I didn't minister for you, but I ministered to you. God, I'm asking, Lord, right now, revive us in this house. We're asking God, don't wait for someone to lay hands on you. This is your altar call tonight, young people. Were you okay. Uh, <laughs> we got literally a minute left. I'm sorry. I was going to stop it, but he's only got a minute. Let's see if we... We bring it together at the end. You say, God, I say yes to you tonight. If you could use Isaiah at 19 years old, anoint him and use him to preach all over America, then God, I know you could use me in the name of Jesus. Come on, right now. Father, we break off addiction off these young people, God. We break off trials and stress and pain. God, relationships that didn't work out this year, God, family members that we lost, and God, we let go, Lord, and we ask you, God, that you would bring healing, that you would bring wholeness, that only by your spirit and by your power, that God, you would anoint us, God, and that you would do what only you can do in the name of Jesus, we ask you. Come on, let's just begin to cry out. We're gonna start worship here, and we're just gonna pray. We're just gonna ask him, God, do a sovereign move in this house. So he did mention Jesus. Um, so that, that did happen. Uh, wow. Wow, guys. So, uh, I guess the, the, the first place to start is let's look at the three things. Uh, did he read the scripture? Uh, no, no, he did not. So that kind of defaults to the second thing, which did he use culture and context to execute the scriptures in order to bring application? Well, you kind of have to read the scriptures to do the second thing. So if we didn't do the first thing, we definitely didn't do the second thing. So no and no. And did he preach the gospel of Christ? Uh, no, did not. Absolutely not. Nope. Nope, 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 nope. 
so we didn't do any of those things. So what can we get from this then? Well, it's not really a sermon um, as much as it is a uh, motivational talk for Christians, essentially. Um, maybe he, maybe if this is what a revivalist is, um, I, I don't know what the purpose of a revivalist is. If that's the point, you're not using the word of God. You're not directing people to the scriptures. Um, the entire thing was basic. The entire 50 minutes could basically be summed up as, as this, um, you've lost your fire for the Lord. Uh, you don't know why, and it's probably because you're playing once a week Christianity. So stop playing once a week Christianity and be on fire for the Lord again. That's basically the whole 50 minutes. Um, we didn't read scripture. We didn't direct people to that. Everything he said was basically based on him and his authority, not the authority of the scriptures, the scriptures that he did. Uh, point two, briefly, all of them were great, powerful scriptures. Didn't preach from a single one of them. Um, again, this was from the beginning of 2020. Um, I'm not sure. I'm sure his his ministry has developed over the last couple of years. I know there was a controversy. One of the clips I saw was where he said that the gospel must be accompanied with signs and wonders, which is, which is nonsense, but yeah, he can say what he says, I suppose. This sermon, though, wasn't as extravagant. It was honestly, it was just kind of, uh, it was uh, him being super excited. Again, like I said, I have nothing against him being super excited, but there was no content here. There was no scripture here. There was nothing, nothing different. Um, it was just a motivational speech directed at Christians about how you've probably lost the fire and you need it back. So. I don't know, guys. Uh, hopefully you found this helpful. If you did, leave a like. If you haven't subscribed, go ahead and do that. We do weekly sermon reviews as well as weekly, weekly live streams as well. If you want to support us, there's some links in the description about uh, resources that we sell as well as Patreon, a uh, way to do it there. And uh, I guess I'll talk to you next week.